Hello, hello and welcome to another episode of Putting It Together, episode 256. Welcome along to this podcast of Creative Conversations. My name is Brian O'Sullivan and this is my podcast of Creative Conversations. It's our podcast, isn't it? Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks for hanging out along the way. I feel like we've we've had a long old journey and we're not finished. We're not even close. This week, my guest is the amazing George Drennan, who uh, is one of the first people I ever worked with. In fact, to delve into the, the interview, he's one of the people that I've ever worked with. But he is one of the first people that I ever worked with professionally. Um, so, you know, it's, it is a strange thing to come back round. Weirdly, we haven't worked together in a good few years. And it feels like when we did, um, I was I felt like I was at the beginning of, of something. Um, although it was only 10 or 11 years ago, I, I was at the beginning of, of this iteration of my career, if you like. Um Anyway, it's just strange because I've come back round and since we've worked together, I've kind of, I feel like I've done a few things that I really wanted to do. Like I've, I've had some, I've been fortunate and I've had some good uh, bits and bobs and um, it's just interesting to come back round and think, wow, you know, when we first worked together, I really was uh, quite a sort of, I don't know if I was naive, but I was... I was young in my mind and so much has changed since then, I suppose is a simple way of putting it. So much has changed since then and so much has happened. Um, and George, as you'll learn, has been in our business for a long time and has a a really great history with Wildcat um, and an, an interesting way into it as well, just by, by saying, how do you how do you get into that? Uh, watching a show and saying, how do you do that? I want to do that. <laughs> you know, that's it's such a cool story. And, you know, everybody that comes on the show has a different story. I think increasingly people, you know, of the youngest generation, you know, the, the new graduates or the people who are studying just now, um, their story is different because it's people are definitely more aware nowadays of, of acting and, and performing and the arts as a career option. I think, I think we're increasingly aware of that. We see actors, you know, on TV all the time, but we're, we're aware that um, maybe they might even come from the same walk of life as us. I, I don't know. Am I am I speaking out of turn there? I suppose there's a bigger argument about about the class system in the arts and about access and um, privilege and stuff. But I feel like, let's say, 20, 30 years ago, um, it wasn't as clear that that was an option. Am I, am I being... I don't know what I'm talking about. I know what I'm trying to say. Anyway... Um, I think things are are different now than they were some years ago, and George's story is is just one of those one of those ones that's um, different from everybody else's. But it's kind of I don't know. I love it for its its kind of um, straightforwardness. I suppose he's working in a bar, he sees a show, and he goes, "I want to, I want to be part of this. I love that." And that's kind of like the in the movies version of how you become an actor. Um, I just love it. Anyway, I don't want to you know tell you the whole story because he's here to tell you it. Um, and it's just interesting that we're only just getting around to having this conversation because it has been years. Um, and yeah, we've worked together on co- cool stuff. And actually, as it happens, we're working together this week um, on a bit of development on a new musical. And it's cool being in the room again with George and just, you know, we, we work together in a sort of an easy way. He's, he's an easy person to work with, basically. Um, picks things up dead quick and just gets on with it. And I like that. I like that. Oh, who doesn't? We're having a good laugh, is what I'm also trying to tell you. So that's a joy, and it's an opportunity for me to bring you a conversation with George, which I've wanted to do for a long time. Anyway, how are you? I hope you're well. Um, we're into some very dreary Scottish weather again. Very dreary. I'm in the caravan just now because I'm working in Edinburgh. And... Um, I'm looking out and it's so grey and miserable. And it's hard to it's hard to uh, level out your, your moods sometimes when it's like this. Especially when we had a wee glimmer of, of sun there a couple of weeks ago. Again, I'm, I'm wary of getting into too, too much boring weather chat. But it does affect my mood and looking out today. And, you know, when you finish work and you come out and it's grey and it's drizzly and it's getting dark. And I don't know, It's I find that quite challenging. Um, but anyway, I'm tired and I've had a long day at work and lots of other things going on. All good stuff, exciting stuff, some of which I'm looking forward to telling you about when the time comes. Um, but suffice it to say, I'm back at the caravan now and I'm looking forward now to just having a quiet wee bit of dinner and putting my feet up. Because uh, 
Yes, I need a wee rest. Looking forward to it. So yes, I hope you're well. I hope you're ticking over creatively. I hope you're getting out to see some of the amazing stuff that's on at the moment. I saw me and my sister tell each other everything at the Tron the other day and it was just really wonderful. Brilliant. Unlike anything I've ever seen, which is always something I love. You know, that's always a joy, isn't it, in theatre or in any art form, to, to see something and go, I'm not even sure what to compare this to. Um, it was it was wonderful and beautiful writing. Um, very... Uh, what, I'm looking for words, even. I suppose simple. I mean, very deceptively simple, I suppose, is the thing. Um, beautifully written. A, a two-hander that just... It clipped along, but it threw us in... Um, and it trusted us, I think, as an audience to to be with it, to be paying attention, and to and to go with it. I think that's yeah, that was my experience of it. Just going, okay, so we're oh, this is what we're doing. Um, two characters, they they always play the same characters, but they play them at different ages, and it's how to say, it? it's not linear, you know, completely linear. So sometimes you. Oh, so they're kids again, and you're trying to sort of keep up with that. But I think the the overarching thing about that was that that the writer and and the the whole production trusted us as an audience that we would be okay, and I like that. I like that we weren't you know treated as if we were completely daft. You do have to hold an audience's hand, but not too much. I suppose it depends on the show. But that's what I really liked about it. I mean, it was it had a beautiful emotional heart to it, and. Um, you know themes, difficult themes about about depression and about s- struggling with being human, I suppose. Which, and when we strip it back, isn't that what art is all about to some extent? But anyway, um, very pertinent themes, um, but told in a in in a way that felt relatable. You know, and I just felt that the whole audience was was with it. Um, I do have that experience when I'm really liking something. I sort of assume that everyone else is. And when I'm not, I again, the same. I assume that everyone else is not. <laughs> and at the end, you know, when the reaction's different to what I feel, I'm kind of like, oh, really? You're, you guys are not with me? <laughs> but in this case, I loved it. And I did feel that, that, for the most part, anyway, the audience were, well, it seemed to me that everybody loved it. So there you go. A, a excellent performances from Anna Russell Martin and Ailey Lone. Um, and the whole production, yeah, brilliant stuff. And I'm, I'm giving it a big plug here, but, it's closed. Um, but I wouldn't be surprised if there's another iteration of that show, if there's a chance to see it again somewhere. It's called Me and My Sister Tell Each Other Everything, and it, and it was tremendous. Now, if you want to support this podcast, there are many ways you can do that. The most obvious one is to follow us on social media. But if you're already doing that, I would ask, please mention us on social media. Tag us in stuff. Tell your friends that you're listening to this show and what you think of it and what you get out of it. Um, it really helps build our audience and that's what we're trying to do. We want everyone, as, as many people as possible, to hear the show and be part of this wee journey. And uh, remember that you can do that by going to Pod on Instagram and Twitter and you just search Putting It Together on Facebook and the amazing Cole Stewart is at the helm of all that. Looking after all the social media and doing a fantastic job of it and if you'd like to support us financially which you can do with any small or large amount you can go to puttingittogethercast.com and click on donate that lets you donate once off or you can make a regular monthly donation of a pound or a few pounds or a fiver or whatever you can afford if you can afford anything then it's appreciated it helps us with the running costs of the show uh, which there are some um, and uh, everything's appreciated so thanks very much to the people who are regular uh, donators to the show our patrons and uh, if you'd like to join them then you'd be very welcome putting it together cast.com and click on donate now it's time for my guest of the week it's George Drennan and he's with me and we are putting it together I mean, I've not even seen you for I know. don't know how long. I texted you the other day and you thought I was somebody else. That was very funny. <laughs> you thought I was your neighbour or something? No, it was a guy I used to drink with in the pub, uh, when I drank in the pub, in East Cobride. And um, for nearly nearly a year and a half, you have been this guy. <laughs> 
So, so uh, anything I've said to you, you've taken to be from this other guy. Yeah. But somehow we've not hit upon it because it's never been anything until very I got specific. Bit, until I got a wee, wee bit cheeky the other day there, it was... How did uh, you get that gig? I know. Is it this guy, I'll not name any names, but this guy <laughs> texted me and said, uh, I, I, I'm working with you next week. Yeah. And I was like, what? The guy for the pub is working on a musical <laughs> development with me. <laughs> with me? <laughs> me? And then I was thinking, how did you get the gig? And it was actually texting you. And I'm going, Drennan's asked me, how did I get the gig? He's incredulous. And I was like, I thought he was just winding me up. I was like, oh, I must have tried everybody else. Cheeky get. <laughs> so we are working together next week. Yes. The first time in, must be. A very long time. Eight or nine years or something. Very, very, since the, was it the Jean-Jacques or something? Or? One of those. We did another one after it that we were both in, or another two after that, from that same series. That's right, with Demons? the same team. Did you do Demons? I did do Demons. All these names now you're hitting no, me with. A... That was the one we rehearsed in Sandy's flat. That's right. We used to rehearse in Bellhaven Terrace. And then there was another one that we rehearsed in that Woodlands place, that basement flat with the damp. Um, I, I, I feel can't... like Gary maybe directed that one. But anyway, I think Sandy was in it. Do you remember? Sandy Nelson was in it, yes. Yeah. That's right. That was maybe... In fact, there's a picture of that in Oren Moore somewhere. Is that, oh, the one, one with the no, that was the sand, that was Sandy's flat, the the the, the barbershop quartet where we all wore brown cords. Yeah, <laughs> remember trying to make up a barbershop harmony on like day seven. <laughs> <laughs> this will be a good idea. This won't fail. <laughs> oh dear. So I tell me a wee bit about um, Wee George. Wee George. Ah, well, wee you've George. just told me you were com- yeah. from Kamarnock, which I didn't even know. I was a wee George actually. I was quite wee in terms of. <laughs> 16 but uh, yeah from Kilmarnock um, went to Kilmarnock Academy and um, this kind of that's where my interest in music kind Mm. of started it was always in a band singing Um, but that was when I was a wee bit bigger George I wasn't a wee George then but I always sang when I was a wee when it it was wee George like don't stop till you get enough (laughs) all those classics yeah the Kilmarnock classics but um, yeah I was then I, I Played in the brass bands. We George played in the brass bands mm-hmm. um, with a, a teacher called Andrew Keechy, who was an amazing teacher. Uh, brass, brass, bra- the brass bands were my kind of mm-hmm. thing I did when I was a, a, a kid. And we, I played at Albert Hall twice. Did you? Thirteen and then fourteen. Wow. Yeah, yeah. We won the British Brass Band Championships, the Youth Brass Band Championships. Very cool. So that was pretty cool playing cornet, and then I kind of. My dad bought me a trumpet and then I started playing a wee bit more trumpet and I was a trumpet player until I started working in the theatre and then, <laughs> then my trumpet playing started to decline. <laughs> but they still say, get George, he's a fantastic He's a great trumpet. trumpet player. As long as they've seen you with a trumpet in your hand. Little do they it. know. Little do No, I'm practising again. I'm getting back into it again. Mm-hmm. Really, really kind of um, trying to be the trumpet player I've always wanted to be. So how did that segue happen into from trumpet to theatre? Uh, well, I was when I was at school. We had a a, a band called Teak, like the wood. No, like T I Q U E. Oh, do not ask me why. Very, I don't know. It was, very pretentious. Yeah, it was very pretentious. Uh, myself, Craig Dunlop, Ian Massey, and uh, Glenn Phillips were Teak, and uh, but we we get into the rock band. Champ- TSB Rock Band Championships or something. We TSB? Were, we, yeah, when we were 16. <laughs> Very good. And went through and we didn't win, but we, we we kind of kept the band going. And then things happened, we got older and Ian went to uh, music school and um, I kind of started getting work with, with, with Wildcat and stuff, which is how it kind of segued in because I always had that, that was the band that Davey Anderson came he saw me in a band in right. Paris Match in Paris Match in Kilmarnock yeah that's where I used to work uh, that's can right I, can I, I go do and, remember this can now. I go all over the place here I'm mm-hmm. starting with the brass band but um, yeah that's getting into the theatre was uh, through Davey Anderson yeah he he would frequent Paris Match where I was the the bar manager what was he doing there? well Wildcat were doing a a pantomime at the Palace Theatre, which is just oh, across the road. Right, okay. It's just across the road from the the um the, from Paris Match. So the likes of Rab Handley would come in, and like this guy would walk in, this big six foot three guy with like eyeliner on, and in Kilmarnock, 
There's not a lot of that going on. He just didn't wear eyeliner. And I was like, there's something different about that guy. (laughs) And so I found out they were doing this pantomime, this show. Right. Across the road at the palace. And I said to Davy Anderson, I was like, why would, what what do you do? He said, well, we're doing this thing called the magic snowball. (laughs) Um, uh, Do you want to come and see it? I was like, I'd love to come and see it. That'd be great. So I gave me two tickets. And I'd never, ever really been, I've been to the theatre occasionally, but I was never like, Mm-hmm. I must go to the theatre. Okay. I love the theatre. So it wasn't really in your no, life no, so much no, then? No, music was. It was always just yeah. music. I played keyboards and sang in the band and played trumpet. So when I went to see Wildcat, I took my mum. I remember sitting in the Palace Theatre watching and these these actors, musicians would come out and they would play a bit of music in the keys, which were all on stage. There was no pit or anything. Mm-hmm. And then they would come out and do a monologue or they would say something. They would just act together. And I was like, this is amazing. Right, right. This, I was like, I could do this. And it was honestly one of those epiphanies. Really? I was like, it was honestly like, I think I want to do that. God, that's amazing. And so I, I then again, Anderson would come in and I'd say, how do you, how do you get into something like that? Right. So, um. In fact, I think that was a that was a a memory. He didn't hear my band. That was a that's a, a known memory. That's a false memory. That's a false memory. Yeah. yeah. I don't think he heard my band. He came in and I asked him how to how would audition for Wildcat. Mm-hmm. So he told me they did open auditions every year, every February they did open auditions. So do you want to come along to the open auditions at Jordan Hill? So I was like, yeah. Was that in the Crawford Theatre? It was. <sighs> Amazing. Is that still there? I don't know if it's still there. I did shows there when I was a kid, actually. Yeah, that know. was so. That was where I went for my audition with that, and it was me and this girl called Alison Burns, who was going out with Gary Clark at the time of mm-hmm. um, Danny Wilson fame. So that was, right away, I was kind of going. She's, Ooh. She, she goes out with Gary Clark. So it was <laughs> my kind of first kind of uh, time of meeting anybody that even knew somebody famous. But when Davy Anderson came into the bar. Even that, even he was in City Lights at the time. Yeah. So this was like in Kilmarnock. This guy is in Kilmarnock in the pub that I'm working in, and I was like 20 years old, and everyone's going, "That's that guy from City Lights. That's that guy from City Lights." You serve? No, you serve him. So, <laughs> but being on the telly then was really oh, it was massive. remarkable, and there were only a few channels, maybe or just two, maybe. Uh, no, well, there was I think Channel Four. It was like four had launched then. Early so. days of that, yeah. yeah. Early days of that. I don't mean to age you prematurely there, sorry. Two channels. I used to get British Relay Pipeline tellies. <laughs> the home service. With Ulster. And <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. <laughs> but no, there was, Channel 4 was around. Um, but yeah, to have somebody that was on the telly, to actually talk to him and know, know what to say, it was like, mm. <laughs> I know, scared. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so I got the open edition, went and um, with Alison Burns and then... I was asked to prepare a monologue and I was like, what, what's a monologue? <laughs> just something, just say something, tell us a, a bit about a life experience, something. So I got this friend of mine called Colin Nelson, uh, who I haven't seen for years, a very, very funny man. He was a bass player in their band and he wrote uh, little things for the BBC, like wee sketches and stuff. And mm-hmm. He wrote me a wee monologue. Very good. Uh, about um, going to a nightclub. And no getting in because I've got training shoes on. It was just a wee kind of funny thing, and I learned it. And when I went in to do the open edition, I, they said, "Right, okay, plays a bit of trumpet." So I played a bit of trumpet, sang them a song, and they said, "That's brilliant. Would you come back for a second edition?" And I was like, I, I, "Yeah, I, um, I've, I know. I mean, I had the, the second edition already, but I was like, I, I've got a monologue." <laughs> I, I can do my monologue and they're like alright okay go ahead then well you've prepared I it know, I was like, it was like kind of bursting to come out my mouth yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> you've got to do it you've got to do it so that was so I, I did it and then I got the second edition and then by the August I was touring Scotland doing a show with Wildcat called Fancy Rapping Fancy Rapping Fancy Rapping with Michael Mara and Gordon Dougal and the rapping as in presents or rapping it was, as in... Yeah, it was fancy rapping as in the the, the the government's fancy rapping. And then there was some, obviously some... Rap. Good Scottish rapping in there. Excellent. <laughs> with Michael Mara as well. Yeah, my Gosh. very first show with Michael Mara. It was just, he kind of changed my whole attitude towards humour, everything. Yeah. I'd never really met anybody for Dundee either. Yeah. It was like, but the whole Dundonian sense of humour to me just was like, this is right. and Totally different. 
Oh, I mean, yeah. totally different, totally. And I, I was working with a guy a couple of weeks ago who, who knew Michael, and um, he said to me, I, I just didn't get how everybody was finding Michael funny on stage. Mm-hmm. He says, that's just Dundee. <laughs> you know, it's just that that's, he's just talking Dundee, and he says, and I would go, why is everybody laughing at that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's the thing. I think there's a Glasgow thing as well. Like when you're around the world, when you just talk, sometimes people, because we're quite dry and a bit sarcastic. Yeah, I love that. Even, yeah, yeah, you're not even trying to be funny. You're just like, oh, he was a dick. And they're laughing, you know? Yeah. That's just yeah. normal for us. Yeah, I know. And that's what he was thinking. Dundee, that's just... <laughs> What's the big deal? I, exactly. What was Mara like to work with? Uh, I mean, as I said, it, it just kind of changed my whole outlook to everything. I mean, just wee things, wee observations he would make were just... Even in a hotel with him, he would be sitting, eating a meal. He'd finish the meal and he'd put it aside and he'd go, aye, that was one of the meals I've ever had. (laughs) (laughs) Just stuff like that. It was just, and I just found that hilarious. I think you might have written something like that to me in the first ever card you gave me. You're one of the actors. I use that in my first night cards. You're you're one of the actors I've ever worked with. (laughs) I remember somebody really took offence to that. Another, an actor who will remain nameless. Oh, for goodness sake. Um, I wrote on it, uh, you are one of the actors I have ever worked with. And he came up to me and went, George, um, see this first night card? <laughs> um, <laughs> he says, I, I don't really understand it. I, I, think you've, I think you've maybe missed a word out. Mm, no. And I was like, okay, <laughs> fine. Sorry but about that. I, I knew exactly where, where his sense of humour <laughs> Didn't exist, probably. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a shame. <laughs> so these were the days, of course, when it was like, things were a lot more laid back. Yeah, especially with Wildcat because everybody liked to wee drink, and that was happening in the in the room and smoking and all that. Oh, yeah, smoking yeah. and yeah, drinking. <laughs> I, can't, I just I always am fascinated with that because I can't imagine I would never get anything done. No, I would just be steaming. I, I, yeah, exactly. I think we were mostly. I don't remember much about the nineties because I think we were mostly <laughs> touring in the bus and just like drinking and smoking and. Like if you remember the nineties and Wildcat, you weren't there. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Uh, no, I was certainly there, and it was uh, a pretty good company to work with, with McLennan and Anderson, and at the at the helm. Gosh, amazing! And you were you're touring all over. So, do you think that the attitude, the public attitude towards theatre like that, was different to it as now? Was it more in, in, integrated into the way of life? Do people were people used to seeing stuff in their towns and villages more than they are now? Well, then there was we were taking theatre all over the place. Well, seven eighty four had done it. You know, they were taking, yeah, yeah. taking the theatre all over Scotland. But um, yeah, I mean, we were taking theatre to places that only had Wildcat. That would, it would only be Wildcat yeah. that would go there, or you know, or they had seven eighty four or occasionally. But now it's but that was their experience of theatre was yeah, based on based on those two things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's what they. So we could. Um, but it was always musical theatre. Not yeah. mu- it's not musical theatre as in musical theatre. It was theatre with music. Yeah, um, and like sketches and yeah. Stuff well, like yeah, that. but it was always a, it was always a very rarely did we do a kind of sketch show. It was always a, a full blown show with songs. So a narrative, like a, yeah. a story, a full on story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gosh. So then, let me just try and get a sense of this. So you, so you did that. You did that for a number of years, presumably. Mm-hmm. Were you doing other things? Did you find, did other things happen or were you sort of solely with them? See, as I said before, when I started, I was 21, big daft boy for Kilmarnock. Didn't even know what an agent was, mm. how you get an agent. So when April Chamberlain phoned me up and said, um, Wildcat want to employ you, you're getting uh, £170 a week. And I was like, what? <laughs> and that was like 30 40 pound above equity minimum then equity minimum was 140 pound this was okay. 1988 right so that's quite remarkable then so above was, minimum yeah yeah it was it was great and i remember i was in edinburgh doing a, a week's jazz course the abersole jazz course when i used to think i was a trumpet player and um, we're coming back to that i know and i remember the big yellow phone that i had to i was told to phone april chamberlain it was one of those big yellow pay phones oh yeah and uh she was like, hi, George, we're wanting to offer you this job. It's um, 
called Fancy Rapping uh, and it's touring Scotland and I was like yeah great so I didn't realise that it just came in contracts I thought that was like me with them oh, of course yeah yeah I was like thinking this that's is, it now that's it great I've got a job with Wildcat but then I just didn't know anything about how theatre worked how to get an agent how to do and there was no nobody really did I didn't have any pals in the business to say listen yeah. what, what do I do here um but well, I mean, obviously I asked the Andersons and the McLennans, but it was, it, the work started to kind of flow in with them because then after that, it was, um, the, 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 they did the pantomime again, but they did it at the Crawford Theatre. Mm. And I was understudying all the, because Gordon Dougal got an abscess or something, so they said, could you, remember Leslie Robertson phoning me up and saying, right, George, uh, don't talk, just listen. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> You know Leslie Robertson? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's she, she was like, don't talk, just listen. Oh God, <laughs> that's amazing. You, you're in tomorrow, you're, you're, you're on stage for Gordon Dougal tomorrow, he's got an abscess, so just get yourself up to the Crawford Theatre. So it was like, that was me, another contract. So but, you weren't involved in that panto until that moment? That's right, yeah. So <gasps> oh I, I toured God. with him, did the, the, yeah, wild, yeah, yeah. The, the, the autumn tour, and then I got this understudy gig. And then after that, it was another one, Border Warfare, and mm-hmm. then it was... That was a big one at Tramway. And then I just started getting gigs with them. It was like maybe three a year. But mm-hmm. that's kind of that's kind of all I was doing. And I said, I need by nineteen ninety I thought, I need to get an agent. I need to then I was kind of getting, oh, you need an agent, you need this and that. Sure, yeah. So but I, I, it was a good couple of years of just touring round about and think just this is great, spending all my money and having a great time. Because <laughs> you think you're a millionaire, of I course. Know, I start getting I, weekly money and all just that. Just living on my own. It was like, this is, well, not living on my own, I was living on my mum and dad. Even better. In Belfield and Kilmarnock. <laughs> but yeah, that, that just, and I remember John Harper used to, he, for some, he stayed in Belfield as well, which was really handy, and he drove the big yellow wildcat truck mm-hmm. every morning, and he would come and pick me up. He just stayed around the corner, which was really handy. That's and great. he'd drive me to Jordan Hill. And I remember John uh, um, couldn't see very well at the time. <laughs> That's not ideal. No. And uh, the, I remember getting some dodgy moments in that big yellow truck. Oh, my God. But you've seen the big yellow truck in front of the, the roadworks. I've seen uh, the pictures, yeah. yeah. That's, that's the very truck wow. that, that, that picked me up. So was it going around picking everybody up? No. No, it was just because I stayed happened to stay in the same housing scheme as oh, I see. John Harper. Just, right, okay. <laughs> what are the chances? And he was the sound man for Wildcat. Right, okay. So... So at some point, as you say, in the early nineties, you start to think, right, there's more, there's more out there, or I need to be in tune with what's going on. How did you manage to rectify that? Just by getting a, an agent, with, uh, and actually uh, working with people. I, I got really pally with Martin McCarty, and Martin and I were kind of a team at Border Warfare, mm-hmm. and uh, Martin had studied at Rose Bruford, so he knew what was going on. He knew some stuff. He knew, and I remember. I was working with John McGrath and I was like this is John McGrath's quite I'd, I'd never really heard of him before because I was not a theatre buff but it was yeah. like this guy is a, a a big hitter you know so Martin McCarty I remember getting in the first day of Border Warfare and I, Martin said to me what, what is it we're doing I said oh, we're just pushing trucks about and like they're, they're all acting on these trucks and we're pushing them about <laughs> and Martin's going we're what? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not having that. <laughs> no, so he wasn't having that. So he, okay, okay. Had a, I was like, he's actually going to talk to John McGrath. Oh, he's right. actually, he went up to him and said, like, I want more in this. And it was like, so he, and he got more. He got more to do. Very good. But I know. And I was like, oh, God, I could never do that. I'd never, ever be able to do that. So, <laughs> but he, you know, he, 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 he kind of obviously wanted to be an actor and knew mm. his path. I was sure, just sure. kind of, I, I just kind of, was going with the flow. You were happy to be there and be yeah, part of it, right? absolutely. I yeah. mean, yeah, John Sampson and I playing trumpet together. I was like, this is great. You were dead happy. Absolutely brilliant. I love that. I love that. But Martin, as you say, had been to Rose Bruford and was looking around and going, wait a minute. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> this is, nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not pushing trucks about it. I was like, oh, well, I'll do it then. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Still get paid, right? Yeah, exactly. Same amount of money. Yeah, yeah. So, so how did you manage to get a hold of an agent? Did you just approach? It was... Uh, my first agent was Ruth Tarko, uh, and yeah, I think I just f- phoned her up, uh, and that, that, I mean, never really, I never really got much though, it was always just like, because I would go, 
oh, sorry, I'm touring. I can't do that. And right. I was always busy doing Wildcat shows. And that was what I did till, yeah. like, I think my last Wildcat show was 96 or something. So I just kind of kept working with them because it was great, great fun. And know? did you stop because they folded? Th- that as well. And then I kind of realised I was getting a wee bit older and I thought, I need to kind of <laughs> move on and work with other people here and okay. do other stuff. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I had done some telly and stuff, but not a great deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, Taggarts and, mm-hmm. um, but I wasn't getting the. But again, I wasn't very ambitious. I wasn't. I'm, I've never been a person to push myself. That this networking thing was never right. No, I, I could never put myself in any position where <laughs> I, I had to go. Um, can I get a job? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, really bad at that, and never using any of the people that I did know. You know, like, I, I, uh, like a guy called Graham Gordon. He was from Kilmarnock, and I knew Graham. Uh, in the Paris match days he went on to be like the, the producer of Taggart and people said why do you know Yeah, phone him I was like I don't, I don't, don't want to <laughs> don't. are you still like that that kind of kind of yeah to... I'm still I'm still very like that yeah yeah still kind of scared to ask for jobs and stuff so if you've got a gig that's great that's grand yeah I mean yeah I, I, I really I mean Nadia will say to me you just don't push yourself enough mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know Nadia being my wife yes yes but <laughs> I, I think we probably would get that from context but you never know so 1996 rolls around and and you're starting to think I mean if, forgive me for just doing a timeline here but I don't know any of this and I just love it you know it's just going and then what happened next um so what was your first gig out with Wildcat oh my god um I don't know it was could it have been maybe doing like PF with Dundee Rep Oh, the uh, rep, okay. Yeah. So that was, uh, I should have brought my CV. It's been so long ago. <laughs> That's what Julia did. It was typed. Really? She what? brought a typed CV from the 70s and we just read through it and it was uh, glorious. That would have been a good idea. Because yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, I've just done so many shows now that you just forget. They all, they, sometimes they merge into one, don't they? Like, yeah, I mean, that's stuff. The, all those Wildcat shows, I just remember. Yeah. At town halls and minibuses. Yeah, that general vibe. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So then you're you're starting to do other stuff. Did you did you stay at the rep? Like, did you do a season at the no, rep? Or no, the I, one show. Just uh, just did that that one show. It was uh, Terry Neeson uh, when we, we we toured Scotland with that. Uh, Richard Barron directed it, and that would be would that be ninety six something like that. I love that these names are still going about. Yeah, you know? it was Terry's birthday yesterday. Was it? Yeah. Gosh, I've not seen her in a long time. Thanks to Facebook, I knew that. No, this is the thing, isn't it? I think she sang at McLennan's memorial concert that we did at the Sits. Do you remember? She did. She did. And I remember thinking, what a voice. Yeah, yeah. And that and Myra McFadden. Oh, she yeah. sang and I'm going, bloody hell. Myra, I remember my very first show uh, with, with Wildcat, as I said, was the Fancy Rapping. And I had a, sh- a song called The Crack. Now, that had been used before. Myra sang that in a previous show years ago. And I remember there was a big kind of benefit coming up or something and they were going to sing, going to sing the crack. And I was like, that's great. I'll get to sing that song. And when it came around, Myra got it. And I was like, <laughs> but why is my, and they were like, that's Myra's song. Uh, yes. That's Myra's song. Yeah. I, was like, I just was kind of. Yeah. It's funny how they, they did that though. It's not really done so much now. There's a song from back, you know, five shows ago. That would work in here. We'll stick it in. No yeah. one does that now. No. Dave still does it. Yeah. He's like, I've got a thing, I might stick that that whole section from that show in here. Yeah. I love that. You're allowed to plagiarise yourself. Yeah, of course you are. <laughs> and I mean, watching Dave write and come up with stuff is like a wee window onto that time, I think. I wasn't there, but yeah. I can only imagine because I don't know anybody else that works like that. Yeah. You know? He's, he's a, I mean, a great guy, Dave. I mean, I just love working with Dave and I just haven't had the in the last couple of years not been able to sit and even just I know. jam with him you know like I, uh, play and uh, just it's it's kind of just sad what's been happening in the last couple of years with the I know. with the um, I feel like we've missed out yeah but uh, yeah I always worked, worked, loved working with Dave did he always work in that same way where things were just happening in the room and pieced together and all that stuff yeah yeah absolutely he would, he would get into headphone land and I've actually got I've, I've still got it on my phone uh, of Dave writing songs with his headphones on 
Just and, and just going. <laughs> and I've got it in my head and he says please do not let anyone hear that <laughs> there's really no ego with Dave though is there I mean no. he's just like he just wants to do a good thing yeah yeah, and have a laugh yeah he was, he's one of the kind of coolest guys I knew when I was young yeah I bet he was a pretty cool customer back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, he's still cool. Of course he is. Of course he is. But I mean, when you yours in Kilmarnock and a guy comes in off the telly, that was that was something else. You know, that was something go. else. That that and then and I remember Pat Kane walked in once as well. Who's Pat Kane? Pat. Kane. Oh my god. <laughs> oh dear. Pat Kane from Hue and Cry. Oh right. Oh, now, that's cool. At that time, Hue and Cry were pretty big. Yeah. Pat Kane walked into Paris match, and that was huge. Amazing. Yeah. Huge. Did you move out of Kilmarnock at some point then? Uh, yeah, well, not until I was <coughs> like 26, 27. Um, right. That's when I kind of st- I stayed at home. Till the- <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, then I, Nadia and I, I met Nadia when I was 27 and uh, that was my kind of moving out time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And Nadia was in, is, was in the business as well, is in the business, I don't know. Uh, yeah, Nadia was a stage manager. Right. She she went to Guildhall and trained as a stage manager. Right. So you uh, met on a job then? We did. We met at the Lyceum. She was doing Gaslight and I was doing one of Forbes's, Forbes Masson's Christmas shows. And uh, I remember seeing Nadia doing a mark out. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, okay, let's have a chat. All right. <laughs> <laughs> did Forbes write all the Christmas shows then for a, for a time? He, he did was, a few, didn't he? It was one that... We did a few at the Tron. We did. Oh, he did the Tron. Uh, no, yeah. in fact, we did one at the Tron called Cinderella, and that transferred the next year to the Lyceum. I see. And right. It was their Christmas show, and uh, Terry Neeson was in that. Um, so that was yeah, it was the C- Cinderella, and the Forbes was in it. Brilliant. And I was, and I had just had a throat operation. I'd got nodules from really bad technique, and um, never. Yeah, really bad singing technique. It was just like balling yeah yeah so i got nodules and i couldn't work for like six months but forbes came up to me and said listen would you do the music for this show and um i've got a wee part a speaking part but it's not on stage you're playing a coal furnace an, Ita- an italian coal furnace <laughs> and i was like yeah sure. you stand off stage with so a mic I, did, I had the keyboards and i was i had all the music off stage but i had a microphone and i played the Italian co furnace, who was called Koal Fernacci. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Very good. But yeah, yeah, I did a f- few pantos with, with Forbes at the Tron as well. Some great stuff there. I loved that. So was that the first time someone had asked you to do the music for something solely? It was. It was, yeah. Um, was the, the the Tron at Cinderella. I was uh, did the music, just just the music. I yeah. played, played Koal Fernacci. Cool. But then um, I started being in them which was great i don't know how that happened because i'd probably never pushed myself forward for it but <laughs> you were there i was there sometimes that's enough yeah just yeah. being around yeah and then some great names came out of tron pantos back then i mean george drennan george <laughs> for one <laughs> but it was also <laughs> peter capaldi right mm. john stahl i think when i was last not when i was last but when i was working with him once he told me about all these names that came out of the tron yeah pantos. Craig, craig ferguson yes yeah yeah yeah. I think Ferguson and Capaldi were ugly sisters together once. They, they very well could because that, that again these were all pantos that I hadn't seen. It was like Tom McGovern had been in them uh, like the year before. It was Jack and the Beanstalk, and there was all these. So it was. I actually don't know how Forbes asked me to do the music. How he'd heard. <laughs> I don't know how I got the gig. Maybe it's through Gordon Dougal or something. I can't remember. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. Um, he just asked me up to his flat once one day, and I remember going up to his flat. First time I'd ever met Forbes, I think, and he made me a co- <laughs> he made me a coffee, and the two of us sitting having a coffee, and I had to drink him a coffee, and I remember there was a wee bit of cleaning up sponge in my coffee. <laughs> <laughs> you always remember those wee details. Like, oh, oh. <laughs> didn't he tell? He might know now. He will know now. I'm Thanks for chance that he listens to this. I'd love to speak to him one time actually. But yeah, to think like. The generation, or people now would know Craig Ferguson as a late night TV host yep. in America. Yeah. But you can go down the Tron and he was just there like, I don't know, it's it's amazing to me. I love the the fact that people are still around and have gone on and kept working. I love the fact that Craig Ferguson had uh, Robert Carlyle on one night mm. and uh, they were talking about Jimmy Chisholm. 
Were they? Oh, yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> Jimmy Chisholm got a name check. On American On American telly. So funny. Have you worked with Jimmy? You must have. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. What do you uh, do with Jimmy? Loads of stuff with Jimmy. Yeah. Jimmy is mischievous man he's, he's a very bad boy he's a great a great great actor he's a fucking brilliant he's actor brilliant yeah yeah I, I, I love working with jimmy because he's got no fear yeah he's got no fear i mean i i still to this day i'm scared mm. when i go on stage you know it's like i've got to get in and go over my lines and sure, sure. in the car driving to the gig I go over every line in the car do you really yeah, still yeah, yeah even when I was when I was doing Dundee I was doing Dundee a couple of years ago just before lockdown and it wasn't that big a part but it was all just speaking to the audience mm-hmm. and I would drive from East Kilbride to Dundee and go over that script yeah. in my head just every day right up to <laughs> right up to the very last night that's amazing all the time but then everyone's got different ways of doing things I know I just I, I just fear because I I had a, a really bad dry once. Did you? And on Orin Moore. And ever since then, I've had the fear. Yeah, that's of, what happens, isn't of it? That, just that big black hole swallowing you up. It's a horrible feeling. There's oh, it's like terrible. It. There's a, a show with Richard Conlon. I'll never forget it. Well, I'll forget the title because I... <laughs> I'll, never, <laughs> I'll never forget, I'll never forget it. Forget it. What, was the it? Details. what was it again? <laughs> but poor Richard, I was totally lost on stage. I was just like... And I, I couldn't actually see anything. Or I'd just gone down this big black hole. That is so... I've never heard anyone describe it the same way as I feel it, where it feels like blackness covers your eyes. You can't actually see. Exactly. Or here, it's like, you're just gone. And it was unbelievable. And remember Juliet Cadzo after it saying, saying, uh, I I, I just thought you were being very brave, darling, (laughs) with your silence. Wow, big pause. (laughs) Amazing, isn't it? Well, what I, feels I, like a lifetime to I us think, I think she was actually just making me feel better because <laughs> oh. it was, really was a lifetime it was poor Richard was like the <laughs> but did he not say something it, it was, I think it was something that he just couldn't help me with yeah one of those Yeah, it was a, a real kind of this is kind of up to you and it was one <laughs> of those we're really quite close to each other like on stage and I was going what is this you know no <laughs> I just kind of please whimper in his ear oh what no what is next <laughs> so so before that you didn't have so much fear but now yeah because of I, that I think it's because of that yeah it's yeah. a kind of slight stage fright thing um it's a kind of stage fright that I get before I'm even on stage mm. um does it go once you're on uh yeah yeah it does once the once I'm kind of in the flow of things it, it, it mm. does but I have to know the thing outside in Right, okay. Just for me, I have to know it every... Um, and I get really frustrated when I say, oh, I suppose everybody's the same, but they get really frustrated if they, if everybody else knows their lines and you're not quite there yet. You feel like an absolute idiot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's the worst. That's but then some people come in, you know, off book, or some people sit for hours in the first couple of nights and, and then other people don't drop the script until the last day. I, I, can't, I can't sit and... I find it really difficult to sit and learn lines. Mm-hmm. It has to be just doing it yeah I'm, I'm similar just doing it for familiarity over and over again and unless then, I drill it with someone else yeah. I certainly never sit and learn lines on my own it's the same as self tapes I cannot learn anything for a self tape mm. I've got bits of paper stuck all over my screen <laughs> so any self tapes I do they, they must know I'm reading it because my eyes are doing that Yeah. but it's the only way I can do it and then yeah. I think well, I'm not putting all that time in a self-tape because you don't normally get, very rarely you get the gig. I know, it's so difficult, isn't it? Because you're expected to do so much. And I, I think they're trying to... Last time I had a meeting with Equity, they, they were saying, oh, we've got these guidelines for self-tapes. Yeah. But they were saying, they're just guidelines. No one's actually agreed to say, like you, we will do this. You can read it if you want to, but the minute they see you reading it, they're going, fuck him. I know, he's not he's no learned it. <laughs> but oh, look, at his eyes are moving. He's not learned it either. He's out. He's get rid out. of him I know but yeah but then again I'm getting seen for stuff because of Zoom and because of uh, on the, the, the self-tape and stuff that I was never getting seen for before yeah that you would either have to travel for or you just wouldn't simply wouldn't be able to get in the room exactly yeah. I, like the, a few <coughs> weeks ago I had um, a self-tape for this Netflix thing and then my agent said uh, I'd already self-taped for it before the same thing they said they want to see for something else can you self-tape for this part so yes, and then my agent phoned me back and said, "Listen, they really want to see you in person in London." And I was like, "Oh, okay," mm-hmm. but they're not paying your fare. And I was like, 
Ach, well, if they want to see me in person, you know, they're, they're really, really keen, mm. with the words. So I went down and uh, I went in to meet the casting director and I did the did the audition and I was in for two minutes. Fucking hell. Straight back out the door. Straight straight back onto the train to, oh, to Motherwell. My Nadia picked me up at Motherwell 12 hours later. Jesus. Oh. Didn't get the gig. Oh, it's horrible. You know, it's just, you, you kind of go, oh, this is it. This is a, this is a really good one. Yeah, really yeah. Get this. If yeah. they want to see me, yeah. Yeah, I know. I know. They're really keen. Yeah. Heavy pencil. <laughs> then it gets rubbed out. I know. Or it's just, why don't they just use a pen? <laughs> Have they all run out of pens, these people? You've got a heavy pencil. All right, okay. Well, that's heavy, but I won't. So what's what's happening this way? You've come out of the pandemic. How did you cope? And are you okay? And what are you doing? Yeah, well, I was, as I said, I was doing Dundee Rep, doing Urwali, the musical. Oh, that's right. I saw you in that. That was great. And um, then it was just straight into lockdown after yeah. that. And it was honestly like, what we're we going to do, I didn't know. And we, Nadia and I had always worked with this drama group that uh, Glasgow Disability Alliance set up called the Purple Poncho Players. Um, that that's a name that they got from. Uh, it was a rally that they were on, and it was pouring with rain, and everybody got given purple ponchos so they mm-hmm. could identify oh, each other the, the crowd. So somebody came up with the the, the the name Purple Poncho Players for the drama side of. Glasgow Disability Alliance. So that that was ten years ago, and uh, Nadia, I've always worked with uh, this this team, and so over lockdown, I was thinking, how can we still work with them? Mm. So Tressa Burke, who is um, the CEO of GDA, that's an awful lot of letters now. <laughs> <laughs> it was like an episode of uh, Line of Duty. L I N E O F D U T Y. So yes, she said, there's this thing called Zoom. We could try, right? And I'd never heard of it, so we started just like everybody else using Zoom and yeah, yeah. going on online, and then it became a weekly thing. Every Monday we would meet up. So for the last two years, we've always been on Zoom every Monday, and then there was online events. So then we started making wee films and writing new songs and brilliant uh, songs like uh, "One Year in Lockdown" and. Um, it's just all, all, all their experiences of being a, a disabled person and what they, what the barriers they face and what we can, what we can kind of do about it. And so what we do is we do, we do drama, we do it through drama, we do it through song. And it's mostly sketches that are written by, uh, now we're getting some pretty good writers. We've got Johnny McKnight writing for us and Anita Vitesi's written some stuff. Oh, and, nice. Uh, Andy McGregor's written some stuff so it's you know there's some good writers getting involved with us and um, they write I need to write some lyrics and I write the music so it's all nice so it all comes together so did Zoom did Zoom make that the access to that stuff actually easier for some other participants maybe that's that is uh, that is true and it's still now true it's uh, because we did a first event uh, kind of face-to-face event mm-hmm. a few weeks ago and it was like a hybrid event so right. there was lots of people still on zoom yep. that couldn't come to the event so it's opened it up a lot, yeah, a yeah. lot for a lot of people who are still scared to leave their, their house still clinically vulnerable yeah it's still happening yeah exactly so yeah. that's given them the choice they're not missing out they can they can come to it in zoom which we never had before or it's, we weren't aware of yeah we hadn't yeah. harnessed before. i know i, I mean I, I, Zoom was about though, wasn't it? It was about for apparently so. Yeah, just nobody had heard of it. Didn't know it existed. No, um, but yeah, I found out about it in the very first week of lockdown, and then it was obviously like everybody else was never off it. Yeah, and and it's now the the thing. That's yeah. Uh, we've got an event coming up in three weeks. Uh, I've got this thing next week, this musical development, so I can't rehearse with them. But in the evenings, I've got Zoom rehearsals. You can still tune in. Yeah. So we're working together next week. Not your, not your neighbour pal from down the pub. Me, actually. Yeah. It was only the caravan line that gave it away. <laughs> you said he doesn't have a caravan. I was thinking to myself, this guy. I know this guy from East Kilbride. He used to he sang in a choir. So maybe he's got really good over the last two years. <laughs> I love that. That that would be where you would go rather than me. I know. <laughs> like it's quite <laughs> a lot of thinking to do. A guy from the pub in East Kilbride gets the gig. That's some, he's well, done some amount of work. Two years. Brian, after all. 
<laughs> you did uh, you did the King's Panto the other year, which is for some reason I think it's because of my childhood, but for me it's like a, a, a pinnacle of Panto. Yeah, I've always wanted to do it and hope one day that I will. I, I yeah, I, I I did the first Kings I did was the 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 young handsome prince. Um, that was a long time ago. No, I wasn't uh, going to say anything. That was a very long time ago. Uh, <laughs> with uh, Elaine C. Smith and Johnny Watson, Barbara Rafferty. And it was the, I'll tell you when it was, it was the year my daughter was born. Georgia May was born in 1999. So that's wow. that was when, and I remember my understudy was uh, Doogie McNamara, who was Jackie McNamara's brother. Right. He was a, a dancer. And I remember, is it Doogie? I think it's Doogie. And um, he was my understudy, so he was like on stage every day rehearsing because Nadia was pregnant. Oh, getting heavily, ready, hi. Very heavily pregnant, and she was due on the 31st of December. <laughs> oh, God. So poor Doogie's out there every day with Catherine and I go singing the songs and singing the songs. And um, unfortunately for him, <laughs> George May was born on my day off. Oh, my God. So he, everybody was standing at the stage door saying, oh, that's, oh, congratulations, shows the pictures. And he'd be a wee Polaroid picture. Of yeah, yeah. And Do, Doogie's, Donnie, it was not Doogie, it was Donnie McNamara. There we go. Donnie, sorry. Sorry, Donnie. <laughs> uh, Donnie was at the stage door, didn't he look very happy? Got you know? it. <laughs> Poor guy. That's rotten, isn't Aye, it? congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> I remember doing a big understudy rehearsal at the Lyceum. I think that the year you were at the Kings, actually. Not that year, but the recent one. And uh, Crawford Logan came in, who was playing Scrooge, and he came in after the, you know, for the show call. And of course, he wasn't involved in the understudy rehearsal because who was he understudying? But everybody else was because everybody stepped up. That was the plot. Um, and he said, oh, how did it go? And I said, oh, it went, went not bad, actually. He went, oh, it's probably a damn sight better than anything I've done on that stage. <laughs> <laughs> He's Girl. so hard on himself. Uh, yeah, yeah. So when you, when you were doing that... Uh, the year George May was born, I was at the Mitchell down the road to, as a child in a panto. Wow. So just down the road, I probably walked past you in the street. Isn't that amazing? That I might is. have been to see it, I don't. I can't remember, but I certainly went to a few. First panto I ever saw was at the King's Terry Kelly. That is, you know. well, that, yeah. Was Jared in that one? He would be, yes, Jared wasn't. I think by that time he was in every year. I think he did. I think, I think, yes, I think, I think Jared was in that one. Because um, it would be, it would be, Sleeping Beauty, I think it was. Mm-hmm. But I remember that was, I was thinking, this is great. I'm at the, the Kings. And the next year, it was Alex Norton that was directing it. Mm-hmm. And the next year, he was directing it again. But he said he was going for a different kind of look for the prince. So I didn't get the gig. And I was like, oh, right, okay. Mm-hmm. And um, Gordon Dougal was musical director for the, the show that year. And he said to me, do you f- fancy coming in the pit? Oh. Play, playing some trumpet and some setting keys. And I was like, yeah, great, I'll do it. So I went into the pit, played trumpet with John Sampson and played second keys on the and so I was in the pit for that whole No way, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, so that, that the name of my book is going to be From the Prince to the Pit. Oh I love it. That's great. <laughs> it's good to have the book name ready to go, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I didn't know that. But see, this is the thing, like someone said to me, I can't remember who or what, but oh you're very busy and all that and I always say I wouldn't be if I chose to just do one of these things. Like, if I said, I'm an actor and that's all I do, I, yeah. I wouldn't be constantly busy. It's it's doing, it's picking up the other bits and bobs that, that makes it the wee patchwork. But you, you like me, must get pigeonholed as well. It's like, uh, since, yeah, oh yeah. since I, because I kind of started in music, it's always like, oh, you're a musical. Yeah, a wee bit, yeah. You're a musical. You're or not- even just an actor musical, which means... You're always on stage, but you never have that much to that big stuff to do because you're always playing. Yeah, yeah. That's that's tricky. Because when I when I first started with Wildcat, a multi instrumentalist was an amazing thing. Nobody really did that then because I, I I played keys and trumpet and mm-hmm. various other bits and bobs and, but now you have to really. It's like yeah, a lot of people do. A lot. Of, you don't get the gig if you don't play something. Sometimes I think increasingly what's happening is a lot of people don't, but they say they do. Mm-hmm. They do a bit, and then if you're like you or I would end up in the room and you end up having to 
rally them. Yeah. <laughs> These supposed musicians. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I so your job ends up being like... I thought you could ride a horse. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we're all falling about the place with a clarinet. You know, no one knows how to play it. That's the that's the, one of the problems that I face. But also getting stuck in music corner. Yeah, it is. And it's still, even to this day, I've kind of pigeonholed. Yeah. yeah. And even doing a development a couple of weeks ago, somebody turned to me and said, see, that's that's the difference between musicians and actors. Uh, we we do it like this and you do it like that or something. I was like, oh, okay. wow. Still? Yeah. yeah, still. Yeah. I'm not telling you who said that. But. Okay. There's a lot of those in this podcast <laughs> or the names that you have used have turned out to be wrong. So no one, it protects the innocent. That's what I like. <laughs> that's it. But they're probably going, oh, they're going, that was me that said that. Yeah, they're listening. Well, if they're listening. I'm sure they are. <laughs> So you've been doing voiceover as well, like me. Yes, yes. Uh, from my little office uh, yeah. and little, uh, it's, it's amazing. I mean, I didn't know you could do that. I think we've all just kind of yeah things have just shifted so much, haven't they? Yeah, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. So that's that, that's been kind of it's been Glasgow Disability Alliance voiceovers, and that's what's been keeping me going for like two years. Mm. Uh, just online stuff and making little films with them and writing songs and it's been an absolute blessing it's been i I don't mean the covid's been a blessing i mean no but to find something through it yeah exactly i've been amazed watching people find their way yeah what people have done how people have diversified and found side businesses or found a way to change what they do so that it works you know yeah yeah and you're just an example of that but actually sometimes you kind of go oh have i got to go to a face-to-face rehearsal today (laughs) Is there really any need? No, I'll just get my pajamas and zoom. <laughs> it's like face-to-face auditions. Or if they're miles away, you're like, mm, really I though? I know. Do you know what I mean? London and all that. It's like I don't know. Even next week, even thing. next week going to Edinburgh, it's like. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, I did some Zoom developments that didn't work on Zoom. I mean, one was a show about dancing, right? And it was like there was no other way around it because restrictions, but how do you you know there's some stuff that just doesn't that you just have to be in a room really it's like even doing music I, I, I do uh, vocal workshops with GDA every week and um, you can't play piano on Zoom and get them to sing along no I can't play piano in my room and get them to sing along with me because it's just that the delay. that little delay is unless they mute and they just you, but you can't then tell then you, how they get on you can't on. hear them I know, unless you send them the backing track for them to sing along from their end you know yeah. It gets very complicated. Yeah, there's some stuff that just doesn't quite... I'm sure there must be a, a way of doing it, and I just don't that'll, know yet. That'll get... That's probably getting ironed out as we speak. I'm sure. I think there is some app or something. Oh, I don't know. I've enough already with Zoom, and... I know. I'm overrun. <laughs> well, that's great. It's so great to finally talk to you. Yeah, I've uh, enjoyed talking to you too. And to know that you're still alive and kicking. I am. Still gone. I know. 54 oh. now. It's like, Are you? Aye. Oh, okay. oh but you're not, <laughs> I know. You're not a young aye. prince anymore. Exactly. No, it's that kind of stage of life you start kind of thinking about stuff. You're going, is this it? You know, honestly, yeah, really? you, you do kind of go, is this, have I, how long have I got left now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's a kind of strange time. And your kids are growing up now? Yeah, well, Aiden's 15, so he's still in the house. But oh, yeah, but the, you've, you've three, of course. Yep. That's right, and the girls are both out. Georgia May is uh, in France, and Isabella's in Aberdeen, and Aidan's at home. Oh, wow. Yep, 15 and mad about football. Yep. Not Kilmarnock, unfortunately. <laughs> you still support Kilmarnock? I do. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. I know, I'll not tell you what team he supports. Okay, probably for the best. But it's Celtic. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I mean, if it doesn't bother, you can imagine it doesn't bother me. I know. I'm not exactly a, a sportsman. No, you're not, you're not really into your football. Not at all. No sport. I'm not interested no. at all. I like home for a walk and a cycle. But I mean, I, I I I love watching football, but I don't know everybody's names. So mm-hmm. I've just got to always ask Aidan. And he knows. A- Aidan, which country does he come from? Who does he play for? Yep. Knows all the stats. Mm. So I, even, even when I was growing up, I kind of watched football, but never took in their, their names much, except for the Nottingham Forest team. Why? I don't know. I, I supported Nottingham Forest when they won the, the they were like amazing when they won the European Cup. That was my team, my English team, Kilmarnock and Nottingham Forest. Wow, mix. I know, I know. But um, that was, yeah, I was pretty into football when I was young, but uh, not as much as my son. My son is a fanatic. Good for him. I'm glad to hear it. 
and uh, it's good to talk to you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, George. Superb stuff. Wasn't that just a tonic for what ails you? George Drennan, the amazing and widely travelled and widely experienced George Drennan. What a guy. And as I say, it's a pleasure to work with him again this week. So it's perfect time to bring out this interview. I hope you enjoyed listening to that chat as much as I enjoyed having it. And thanks very much for sticking with us and for listening to the show week in, week out. Which reminds me, by the way, that you can dig back into our archives and listen to any of the interviews that I've done with somewhere around 250 um, artists from the Scottish theatre community and beyond um, you can get that wherever you get your podcast under putting it together I mean you're already there so just go back um, all the episodes are available and completely free and if you'd like to support the show to support that remaining free then you can go to puttingittogethercast.com and click on donate and that is about all from me so I'll speak to you next week same time same place looking forward to it in the meantime take care of yourself and uh, have a gentle time Look after your friends. Uh, what else? Smile if you can. Be nice to people. Try and stay hydrated. I mean, these are all bits of advice that I really should be taking myself. Um, but that's about it. Yeah, have a good one. Be good. Cheerio now. <laughs>